You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. In Psalm 23, everybody's favorite psalm, my favorite psalm, maybe, uh, the first two verses are great, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and cut, right? (laughs) That was perfect. Let's just stop the psalm right there. That's really what my heart wants to, where it wants to stop, right? But then we we read in verse 3 of Psalm 23 where it says, uh, And he leads us in paths of righteousness, the right paths for his name's sake. Now, up to this point, you're kind of like, well, this is fantastic. Like, I'm in green pastures, still waters. Now there's more right paths. Like, we're just, it's just getting better and better. And you know where verse 4 goes, though. Where do the right paths go? They go in verse 4 to the valley of the shadow of death. Is that the better? There's so many of us, right? We want to stay in that green pasture, still waters. But the good shepherd has a greater good in store for us. But we hit verse 4, and we, we ask God, where, what, what is happening? Where are we going? Why is this happening, God? Why, God, why? We are going beyond what was comfortable and cozy, but that, that place wasn't yet good because the good shepherd's going to take us to a good place. But how do we understand that journey? And that's what so much of the book of Job is about. How we go from Job chapter 1 to Job chapter 42, and you go through a valley of the shadow of darkness and death. And every one of us will, and many of us have. We go to a place beyond understanding. We go to a place where the only words we have is why. Now, we are in the main body of the book of Job. So if, you, if you're there in Job 8, you can kind of look, just turn in your Bibles before and after. It's a lot of the same kind of stuff. We're in the main body of the book of Job, which is 39 chapters of conversation between Job and Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. So of those 39 chapters, there's three cycles where Eliphaz something, says something, Job says something back. And then... Bildad says something and Job says something back and then Zophar says something and Job says something back and then they all do it again and then they do it a third time. But the first cycle is the same size as the second two cycles combined. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at what the three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, what they say and we're going to examine kind of their rationale and what that can instruct us in. And then we're going to look next week at Job's responses through this first section. So today we're going to look at what the friends say. So I know this is a little bit different than maybe what we're used to doing on a Sunday morning, but if you've got your Bibles, open up in them, please. We're going to look at the friends' advice to Job. Eliphaz is in, verses, uh, in chapters 4 and 5. Bildad's in chapter 8, which uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah read for us. And then Zophar's in chapter 11. And Bildad's kind of, he's kind of like, Eliphaz is nice, Zophar's pretty mean, so uh, Bildad's kind of like in the middle. He's the neither hot nor cold uh, porridge guy. So he's a little more tolerable. But let's look at what Eliphaz says to Job. If you remember, two Sundays ago, we looked at Job 3, 
where Job is basically saying, I just wish I was dead. I wish I was never born. I cannot understand why I'm still alive to experience these pains. And so, just like all of us, when we encounter somebody who's genuinely in the darkness of life, we're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This makes me very uncomfortable, and I need to try to figure this out because this is scary. And so Eliphaz jumps at Job right away. Look at me at Job chapter 4, verse 7. I'm just going to kind of hit some of the highlights of what Eliphaz says to Job. He says in verse 7, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? In other words, he's saying, Job, you're not innocent in your sufferings. And so he says in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. He says, Job, you're not innocent, so don't be foolish about this. But chapter 5, verse 17, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. He says, you're not innocent. Don't be a fool. Accept God's discipline and be restored. So Eliphaz's point, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try to make this clear because this is super confusing for us because what the friends say is what every single one of us comes default programmed to the scripture with. And it's wrong. So you can see how it, that is a bold word, right? It's, this is a wrong point that Eliphaz makes against Job. He says, God disciplines us for doing wrong and he punishes us so that we repent. That's wrong. That's what Eliphaz says. Turn with me to Job chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 8. This is what Jeremiah read. We'll start in verse 2. Bildad the Shuhite answered, said, How long will you say these things, Job? And the words of your mouth be a great wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert the right? Wow, this is gruesome. If your children have sinned against them, he's delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore you to your rightful habitation. And though your day, your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. Skip down with me to verse 13, where he criticizes, he says, uh, the paths of those who forget God, the hope of the godless shall perish. So what Bildad is saying to Job, he's saying that because God is so absolutely perfectly just, your sufferings are the consequence of this thing he calls forgetting, which is a kind of a nice uh, catch-all bucket for uh, just failing God in some ill-defined way, right? We're easy marks for this kind of stuff. How many of you remembered God uh, perfectly this week, right? We're just, we're soft touches when it comes to guilt and shame in this regard, so he says, you've, you've forgotten God in some extent. And so that means God is uh, he's letting you have these sufferings. And so you need to apologize and then you'll be restored. Very similar point to Eliphaz with Bildad. Again, this is the wrong point. But Bildad's word to, to Job is that God's justice means that all of our sufferings are because of our sin. All of our sufferings are because of our sin. And then in the last of the friends' speeches to Job, Job chapter 11, if you'd look with me there, we're going to start at Job 11, 4. Zophar the Namathite says to Job, You say my doctrine is pure, I'm clean in God's eyes. 
Oh, oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. I've heard preaching like that before. He goes on in verse 14. He says, If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. Let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish, and you will be secure and will not fear. In verse 18, he says, And you will feel secure because there is hope. So what Zophar says to Job is he says, Listen, because God sees all of our sins, the only hope that there is for any of us sinners is that we just got to try harder to do what's right. That's where our hope lies before God. That somehow, in the calculus of the universe, because God is so perfectly just, it means that there's some sort of inflection point. There's some sort of balance between our bad deeds and our good deeds. And if you're suffering, it's because you're out of balance. You just need to do more good, and you will be back in balance before God. Now, these are all giving voice to uh, what's called, by the commentators I read, the retributive principle. That is, uh, retribution will come to you. That the righteous will prosper, that God delights to prosper the righteous, and that the wicked will be punished. Now that's actually true. That's, That's actually true. That's actually a fundamental part of our gospel. We'll talk about that later. That God will prosper the righteous and he will punish the wicked. But then there's this other thing that we do with this truth. This is what always happens, right? There's a truth and then there's something we do with it. And this is the corollary, which I just, I'm not 100%, like the parking spot adjacent to that truth is this corollary, which is that then if you're prospering, then you're righteous. And if you're suffering, it's because you're wicked. So this is a truth from God's word that now is taken and becomes irrational and unjust when it's used by humans, as so many of God's truths are, when it's used by humans to analyze each other. Right? It's just like uh, the tools we use to build well when you put them in the hands of the immature Right, like if when we moved into our new house, if we, uh, as a little gift, we handed all of the kids seven and under a hammer while we were, you know, moving in, what would be the consequence of it? Now, you have to have a hammer to build something, right? But then you put it in the wrong hands. I remember working uh, construction and uh, the foreman shooting at one of my coworkers, shooting a nail gun at him while he was up on the ladder. Like, you know, you have to have a, it was all good fun. he was he was missing most of the time you have to have a nail gun to get this stuff done but you put it in immature hands and it becomes something very dangerous god does in fact delight to prosper the righteous he does he is a just god and he does promise to punish the wicked but those truths cannot be used by us to deduce a person's real character or even to explain the events of our own lives. How, I mean, how many times this week did something good happen and you thought, oh good, I'm doing something good. And something bad happened, you think, oh, what did I do wrong? This is just our default. 
And so many of us struggle with this. We struggle because we feel we just have to know the why of our life sufferings, whether those sufferings are significant or relatively inconsequential. We are driven to say, I've got to know. I've got to understand. Like the friends of Job after Job 3, we just think we've got to be able to explain this. We've got to grab the sufferer and be able to explain it. But the reality is that life is going to take us beyond where we wish we were. Life is going to take us beyond, and we're not necessarily going to like it. So now I want to reflect on what the friends are saying. And we're going to contrast what the friends say and then what the Holy Spirit is saying through this passage as well. So the friends are saying to Job that Job has hidden, unconfessed sin, and that's why God is punishing him. He needs to confess his sins. He needs to do acts of penance. And uh, then that should work. He should be restored at that point. This was a pretty common advice in the ancient world. There's versions of like a kind of like other versions of a Job story that you, the little, they're, they're shorter, they're not as well done. But that's basically what the message of the other cultures was. The common wisdom of that day was, if you want to appease the gods, you've got to kind of figure out what bugs them and avoid it or do the opposite, what pleases them. You've got to play this game. In other words, this is what the friends are saying. God's whimsical application of justice follows a kind of logic that we can use to prosper. I think a lot of Christians, friends, live with exactly this idea of how the universe runs. I think that in a lot of churches, and certainly in this church as well, there are people worshiping on a Sunday morning because they're trying to play the game. They're trying to get the game right so that the bad things in their life can go away and the good things that they're trying to acquire can come to them. And so they'll show up, they'll sing loud, they'll give, they'll, they'll do all the stuff that they think people should do to, to, to win the game. But this is, not, this is not how the universe works. This is what the friends are saying, but I want you to hear now what the Spirit is saying. We've heard what the Spirit is saying. Do you remember what the Spirit said in chapters 1 and 2? The Spirit said that Job is blameless and upright. Now that doesn't mean that he's sinless. You remember he was offering sacrifices for sins. He's aware of the means that God has given to give mercy and grace to sinners. He's making full use of those things. And in the, in the assessment of God, he's blameless and upright. He fears the Lord. He turns away from evil. That's who Job is. And, and we know from those chapters that, the, that Job is only suffering because God has allowed Job to suffer. And God has allowed Job to suffer be, because he wants to vindicate, he wants to show that Job's faith is right. He wants to reveal the strength of Job's attachment to God himself, which is to say he wants to reveal how worthy God is and how worthwhile faith is. That's what God is allowing this for and revealing. So listen to this, though. Job does, this is a fundamental premise of understanding the conversation between the friends and Job. Job does not need to be restored to God. That is the fundamental premise of the friends. You're suffering, you're out of fellowship with God. 
That is not Job's understanding of the situation, and that is not what the Spirit wants us to understand. Job is, he is in fellowship with God. Even though Job's a sinner, Job and God have never been separate in this story. And what God is asking Job to do is what God is asking us to do, which is to trust him and to wait for his purposes to be revealed. In other words, if this is what the friends are saying, what, what the Spirit is saying here is that life is not a game that we play under or against God. Again, I think a lot of us, we get mad at God because we're like, hey, I'm doing this stuff. Now give me the things. Like God's over there and he won't pay out. <laughs> Come on. But that's, that's not what the Spirit's saying. This. The Spirit is saying life is not a game played under or against God. In fact, what life is is this. Life is a mystery meant to be lived with God by faith in God. Life is a mystery meant to be lived with God by faith in God. Faith is what sustains us. Faith sustains us beyond where understanding can take us. Faith sustains us beyond where understanding can take us. We see this in the story of the gospel. This is really where this message that we hear in Job is most clearly shared. In the story of the gospel, we see how Jesus proves the reliability of of God. And what is important this morning to hear about the story of Jesus is that Jesus proves that God is reliable far beyond the boundaries of what anybody was expecting or looking for or even understood was happening. Do you remember in the stories of the gospel, none of Jesus' closest friends understood what was happening. He told them three times, his closest friends, the Son of Man's going to go be rejected, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be killed. And they're like, man, that's some silly stuff. They, didn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't receive it. Jesus' friends didn't understand what was happening in Jesus' story. Jesus' enemies didn't understand. There was gathered against our Lord, both Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees. They didn't understand it. The apostles say that Satan didn't understand it. Even the angels weren't quite sure what was going on. And Jesus himself did not demand to understand it. You remember when he was in the garden, he trusted the Father. He did not say, this is not one of Jesus' prayers there. He didn't say, hey, hang on, would you just run it by me one more time? I'm trying to wrap my brain around this explanation of the suffering I'm in. He said, your will be done. He says, if not, your will be done. And it is in Jesus' story then that we see how clearly, how, how trustworthy God and his justice truly are. God's justice works even through Jesus' unjust death. I want you to understand something about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus was God's righteous response to, it was the righteous response of God's justice to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. This is, this is, what our gospel is built off of, that Jesus was righteous and Jesus was rewarded. We get all the good in the good news because Jesus deserved it for what he did. The retributive principle is what our gospel is built on. The righteous prosper. Jesus Christ was raised. God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption or decay, but he raised him up on the third day and gave him every blessing in heaven and the name of God, and that comes to us by faith in him. But again, 
None of Jesus' friends expected God to work through Jesus' death. You remember the, the ladies on the third day? Jesus says, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they go on the third day to anoint his dead body. And his, his disciples are like, we heard strange reports. What, that everything he told you was going to happen actually happened? They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. Because God's justice in the story of Jesus, as in the story of Job, as in your story and mine, works in ways beyond our understanding. God's justice is a mystery to us because, I mean, frankly, the gravity of our consciousness revolves around ourselves. And, and myself is a somewhat limited thing. I have a limited memory. I have a limited sense of time. I have a limited imagination. And, and I don't want you to think that Jesus was some sort of like superhero who just lived outside of our limitations. The Bible says he lived within our limitations. But Jesus had something along with those limitations that allowed him to walk and follow God beyond the awareness of his imagination. He had faith in the word of God and in the justice of God. He had faith. That's what he had. The same thing available to us as well. Suffering seems unjust because we can't see very far. Right? Everybody in here who's got a, a suffering story, it's all couched in the, the language of injustice, isn't it? I did, I did this. I've been this for so long. Why now? Why? But we, unlike Job in his questioning, we have seen Jesus walk to the cross into the grave, and then emerge justified and glorious so we know how trustworthy God and his justice are. Life is a mystery to us, right? But it's not a mystery to God. And that is why God is repeatedly telling us to trust. To trust him in the mystery of life, especially the sufferings, because they seem so unjust. And so this morning, let me encourage you to trust Jesus is God who raised him from the dead. Trust God in the mystery of the injustice of suffering. This is what the friends could not tolerate. And this is what we're going to see Job does. We are tempted like the friends to adopt easy, logical explanations for life and for sufferings. This is a very common tool in our society. Are they suffering? Do they have it bad? Well, you know what? They earned it. They deserved it. Am I suffering? Am I bad things? What did I do? I don't know. But something. But it is critical for our steadfastness and to our faith to recognize this truth. Again, that life is a mystery meant to be lived with God by faith in Him. It is not a game that we play against God. We, we come to church, we leave church, we wonder, if I'm good, will I get good? If I'm just not too bad, maybe hopefully nothing too bad will happen to me. And this is why Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar sound so right to us. But friends, there is no game. There is no game. Here's what there is. Here's what there is, friends. There is a wise, loving God working all things together in ways beyond our comprehension for a good beyond what we can imagine. That's what there is. That is the fundamental nature of the universe. 
Life will take us beyond, but God is already there working. And so I can try to rely on my abilities, which I don't have, to figure out and win some kind of cosmic game, which doesn't exist. Or I can trust the God of the gospel, the God of Jesus Christ, that when my path descends into the shadows of dying and the shadows of death, as all our paths will, He will be with me, He will never leave me, and He will bring me out and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is righteous. He is just. And our faith in Jesus Christ will be rewarded. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that just anybody who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our faith in Him will be rewarded. God is righteous and just. And though faith is hard, the path of salvation, the path of life, is the path of faith. Job had these friends, right, who were, who were coaxing him away from what he had in his heart as his hope. And that hope that Job had is for us now a certainty. We who celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ we know where even the right paths lead even the best people. Because we know the story of Jesus. We know where the right paths lead even the best people. The path of God's righteousness is perfect. It is glorious. It is right. But it is rough. And we will continue. I know this, this sermon is not the, uh, the final word on the subject for us. We are going to continue to experience life as a maze of whys. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to go, you're going to hit something. Why? Why? But in Jesus, we have the shepherd, we have the friend from God, so that we wander safely. And wherever we wander, we have this good word that we will make it out of there alive. In the end, we all make it out alive who follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word that gives us this hope. Lord, you know who needs to hear it and in what way they need to hear it this morning. And so I entrust these truths and trust the word of Scripture and what the Spirit is doing here to you to steady us with the steadfastness that Job experienced because he knew, he knew you and he knew that you were trustworthy and true. He knew that you were righteous and just. And he knew that life is a mystery. But one that you invite us to walk with you through. And in which you give us your solemn and sure word. And those who follow the Good Shepherd, wherever the right paths for them go, 
They'll come out into a place of blessing, a place of flourishing. And goodness and mercy will follow us. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We thank you for this word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.